0: What's up? How's everybody doing today? Good? All right. Ten years ago today, I don't have to tell you what happened ten years ago today on, on September 11th, 2001. And uh, at, that, at that moment, our world became a different place. Uh, those of you that are old enough to remember that, uh, you, you know that there, were, there was a way of thinking in this country, a way of thinking in the world before September 11th. And then there was a way of thinking in this country after September 11th. And the actions of a small group of people totally changed um, the way we see things. Well, today we're going to talk about and and look at Acts chapter 2. And so if you've got your Bibles, I want you to go and open to Acts chapter 2 and just leave it open. We're going to be there the whole day. And in Acts chapter 2, there's an event that just like 9-11, it totally changed the world. But... The difference is, instead of it being caused by a group of people who were out to see something destroyed, this was caused by a loving God who wanted to build something new. And and what happens in Acts chapter 2 is it it, it set the stage for everything that happens in the church after that. The fact that we meet today is happening because of what happened in Acts chapter 2. And so this this was the greatest church growth event ever. And, and, and towards the end of the message, I'm going to refer back uh, again to, to September 11th. But I, I want to say one more thing before I move off of September 11th and we talk about what we, we came to talk about today, and that's this. Um, we need to remember, and we need to remember the sacrifice that was made, and we need to be thankful for the folks that gave everything and the people that are still sacrificing because of those events, the people that are serving overseas right now. Um, and so we need to be very, very thankful for those folks' sacrifice. And you need to be sure that you spend some time today thanking God for that, thanking God for the safety of your family. And, uh, but what, what, one of the things we need to be careful of is we need to be sure that we remember that we worship Jesus and the cross, not America and the flag. I'm proud to be an American, just like Lee Greenwood. I'm proud to be an American, right? I really am. This is the greatest country in the world to live in. And the fact that we live in America means we can gather here freely today and we don't have to worry about police officers coming in and arresting us. You can go to work. You can carry a Bible with you to work. You can come to this school. You can carry a Bible with you to this school if you come here during the week. That's because we live in America and that's great and that's awesome. But let's don't ever forget that we are Christians. We are followers of Jesus first and then we are Americans second. And so we, don't want to be sh- we want to be sure that we don't get those things out of order. So I just want to hit on that a little bit. And, and if you've got questions about what I mean by that after the service, come down and we'll talk about it. And, and, uh, and I think you probably will, will understand what I'm talking about. So we're going to look today at Acts chapter 2. Now there's 47 verses in Acts chapter 2. So hold on, all right? We're going to cover them all. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to be sure that you grab them. Because I don't want to miss anything that happens in this story today. And, 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 and what happens in this story that's amazing that we're going to read through in just a little while is that it's this, this, the greatest church growth event in the history of the church. In one day, 3,000 people accept Jesus and get baptized in the clothes that they wore to church that morning. I mean, that's, that's unbelievable. We've never seen anything like that happen since. And and here's the thing about it that, that's really cool. I don't know how many of you have grown up in church or spent a long time in church, but when you want to have a lot of people get saved or, or when you want to have a big attendance Sunday, you do think, you know, you like schedule a revival. I mean, I grew up old-timey church. Man, we had revival that started on Saturday night and went to the next Friday night. Did anybody else grow up in a church like that? You'd bring in, you wouldn't just bring in a special guest speaker, you'd bring in a special guest musician too. You remember that? And this dude would sing and, you know, and then this special guest speaker would stand up and he'd preach and all that stuff was good. But never in any revival that I was in, did 3,000 people get saved and get baptized in the clothes that they came into church that day. That never happened in anyone that I went in. And then sometimes... Uh, you know, we would do other kind of crazy things at church. And, and so, what happened in this story here, there was, there was not a bet to say, hey, if 3,000 people get saved and the preacher's going to shave his head, or there was none of that kind of stuff. And all it was was that one guy, Peter, who had just denied Jesus a few weeks before, he stands up and he tells a sermon, gives a sermon that's about five minutes long. He didn't have any jokes in it. He didn't have any stories in it. He didn't have any video clips in the middle of it or before or after it. He didn't even have any music before it or after it. And he stands up and talks for five minutes about Jesus and 3,000 people get saved. Unbelievable. So I want you to look with me at Acts chapter 2. And, uh, and we're going to start. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12 to begin with. It says this. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, or Arabs, as most of us say. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Now, if you'll remember, when we started this message series a few weeks ago... When we read in Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1 verse 4, Jesus gave his disciples a command, a very kind of strange command, if you think about what Jesus normally told people to do. Does anybody remember what he told the the, the disciples to do in Acts 1 verse 4? Does anybody remember? It's one word. Wait. God, y'all are good. Wait. He told them, go to Jerusalem and wait. Now, what were they waiting for? They were waiting for what happens here. They were waiting for the Holy Spirit to show up. He said, go to Jerusalem, wait for the gift of the Spirit, which I'm going to give to you. And and so that's what they did. They went, and last week we talked about the fact that, or two weeks ago, that they prayed and they hung out there and they were waiting patiently for the gift of the Spirit. Now, I have no idea what they expected the coming of the Spirit to be like. I don't know what they had in their mind. But I've got to believe that tongues of fire falling up from the sky landing on people, and all of a sudden they were able to speak in different languages went way beyond anything that they had in mind. I'm sure that in their wildest dreams, that wasn't what they expected because that was just even, that was weird even for back those, you know, back in those days. I think sometimes we think in biblical times, man, just miracles were happening left and right. That was weird even back then, man. That was just really weird that that happened. And, and so as we, look at, as we look at this whole chapter, there's two things that I think really stand out about what God did at Pentecost and, 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 and what happened at Pentecost and what needs to be happening in our church and in all of God's churches all across the world. The first one is this, the supernatural work of God, the supernatural work of God. Just in these first 12 verses, there's all kind of miracles here. There's, there's just tons of miracles that happen just in these first 12 verses. Look at, look, at, uh, look at Acts 2, 3 again. It says, They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. That's just weird. That's, that's a miracle. Then look at verse 4, and this is what the result of that. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, let me, let me just make something real clear here. It says they were able to speak in other tongues, but what the word really means there, the Greek word there means languages. It's the same Greek word that we get our word dialect from. And so what happened was, is is they were there, and it wasn't all of a sudden they started speaking some kind of, you know, heavenly language that only God could understand. They tongues of fire came down and landed on them, and when the Holy Spirit came into them, they were able to speak a a real, legitimate language that other people there could hear and understand. Those people that we read the whole list of them a while ago, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, all those kinds of folks. So they're able to speak a a a real language that other people spoke. It would be like if you were coming out of Walmart one day and, and you saw two Hispanic folks sitting there having a conversation, and you can't speak Spanish, and then all of a sudden you think to yourself, man, it'd be cool if I could talk to them. A tongue of fire drops down from the Walmart ceiling, lands on the head, and all of a sudden you start busting out with some Spanish, right? And, and the cool thing about it would be is it would be like real legitimate Spanish. It wouldn't be like the southern Spanish that you know how to speak, like como, te llamas, it wouldn't be anything like that. You'd be able to really speak it. And so that's what happens here, is all of a sudden, these, these disciples who, they only know one language, they weren't, they're, not, they're not schooled people, they, they haven't gone to, to, to a school and learned a bunch of languages, they don't know how to do this, all of a sudden, by the, by the power of the Spirit, the supernatural work of God, all of a sudden, I woke up this morning and I'm Peter and all I could speak was, was the, the regular language that Galileans speak, and now I'm speaking a language that a guy from another part of the world can understand, it was a miracle. It was the supernatural work of God that made that happen. Now, here's the cool thing about this. I think that what's, what's even cooler about this, this part of the story is that that's really neat, a tongue of fire and, and, uh, and, you know, speaking in other languages and all that kind of stuff and the Holy Spirit being in a, a form that you can see like a tongue of fire. But God didn't do that just so that he could show off. He wasn't just doing that to say, hey, look at me. I can make a tongue of fire come down and I can make you speak another language there was a reason. See, even the timing of this was a miracle. Here's why. Look at verses five and six. It says this, now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. So here's what's really cool about this. There were In those days, all these folks here were Jews, right? It says they were God-fearing Jews. In the Jewish tradition, there were three big religious festivals, three big religious celebrations, kind of like we have Easter and Christmas. Those are our big religious celebrations. Well, back then, if you were Jewish, you had three that that you celebrated. The first one was Passover, which you've probably heard of. The second one, which is the one we're talking about here, was Pentecost. And the third one was called uh, uh, the Tabernacles, Feast of Tabernacles. Now, uh, Passover is the most famous, right? Pentecost followed it. And by the way, Pentecost, if you're wondering what does that mean or, or the deal with that, Pentecost means a week of weeks. So a week of weeks is 49 days. Seven weeks is 49 days. So Pentecost happened... 50 days after Passover. You start the day after Passover and you count 49. That's 50 days after you celebrated Passover. Now, here's, here's what's cool about the timing of this. The two main festivals were Passover and Pentecost. And they were what you would call pilgrim festivals. In other words, Jews who wanted to really celebrate it the way they were supposed to, they would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. They wouldn't just celebrate it at home where they lived. If they were really being religious, if they were really being pious and doing what they thought was best, they would leave their town, they would take their family, they would take their tent and their camel and whatever, and they would head off to Jerusalem and they'd camp out around the temple in Jerusalem while this festival was going on. Now, here's what's even more amazing about the timing of this. Pentecost was the pilgrim festival out of the two, out of Passover and Pentecost, Pentecost was the most highly attended. More people went to Jerusalem during Pentecost. You want to know why? It has nothing to do with spiritual reasons. This shows you that people back then were just like us. The weather was nicer during Pentecost. It's just like, you know, it's just like us. When it it rains, our attendance drops here every Sunday. You know, you know, because some people just can't get wet or whatever. Well, that, that was the same deal. Pentecost, the weather was nicer. It was warmer weather, better to travel. Hey, you know what? It's nice weather. Why don't we go to Jerusalem for Pentecost this year? So check this out. Now, now think about what this means, about the timing of this miracle. Jesus told the disciples a few weeks before, go to Jerusalem and wait. Go there and wait for the Spirit. The day that Jesus decides to allow the Spirit to show up on earth just happens to be the day that there will be the absolute biggest number of people from throughout the known world in Jerusalem that day. And not only did he have them there that day, but then he provided a way for every single one of them to hear the story of the gospel in their own language so they could then hear it, they could be changed by it, and then they could go home to the places they live and spread it out from there it's almost as if God knew what he was doing. Isn't that cool? Because the miracle was not just, hey, I'm going to have people speaking another language, I'm going to have tongues of fire come down, but I'm going to do it at the time where it will give God the greatest possible glory and it will spread the gospel to the biggest number of people that it can be spread to. That is a huge miracle and it shows that the supernatural work of God was happening right there in their midst. Now, when we think about the supernatural work of God today. We think about that for our own church. See, sometimes I think we can be guilty in church of of relying on other things other than the supernatural work of God more than relying on God. When I I was a teenager, when I just graduated from high school, or I was getting ready to graduate from high school, my dad knew that um, I needed a summer job and, um, or my dad thought I needed one, I thought, why do I need a summer job, you know, but uh, my dad wanted me to have a summer job, and so uh, he, uh, he told me one day, he said, hey, go down to the Lexington Vocational School, I lived in, I lived in Lexington County, South Carolina, and I went to the Irmo Schools, but, but there was Lexington High School, and they had a vocational school over in Lexington, and uh, Daddy said, go down there to the Lexington Vocational School, at this time, you know, after, I was getting ready to graduate. was after school one day. Go down there at this time and talk to this guy, and he's going to interview you for a summer job. I was like, all right, cool. So I went down there, and here was how the interview went. I walked in. The guy said, hey, you're Bob Marshall's son. I said, yeah, that's right. He said, okay, well, cool. Uh, he didn't say cool. He said, okay, um, we're going to start work at this day at this time. Be there and wear old clothes that you don't mind getting dirty. I said, awesome so I walked out and I was thinking to myself man these job interviews are a cinch that's just the way but you know why that happened right it happened because he knew my dad it it wasn't really a job interview it was just hey you're Bob's kid and Bob's my friend and uh, you need a job, so I need a worker, you come to work for me. He didn't ask me, have you ever run a floor buffer, which I was going to have to do that summer. He didn't say, do you know how to paint, which I was going to have to do that summer. He didn't say, can you weed eat, which I was going to have to do that summer. It had nothing to do with my qualifications. It had to do with my relationship with my father, who this guy knew. And see, when it comes to doing church and what happens here on Sunday mornings, we need to understand that if, if big things are going to happen, if we're going to be able to spread the gospel throughout the community and throughout the world the way the disciples did, then it's going to come down to the fact that we know Jesus, that we know our Heavenly Father. That's got to be the most important thing. There's a lot of other good things we can do. You know, planning is good and, and having good systems in place, that's good. And, and having a great staff, all those things are important. Having great volunteers, those things are great. Those things are good. But but those things are not the most important thing. If we begin to rely more on our plans or on our staff or on our volunteers or on our systems, then we rely on the supernatural work of God. We're going to continue to be frustrated by what happens. Because we've got to beg God, we've got to plead with God that He would do what only He can do. See, as churches, we can be guilty of relying on those other things more than we rely on our relationship with our Father. You know, I, I, we talked two weeks ago about the fact that in the, in the time between when Jesus said wait and the time when the Holy Spirit showed up that, that the disciples went back and it says they gathered together constantly in prayer. I don't think that's a coincidence. I don't think it's just happenstance that the fact that they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and then 3,000 people get saved. I think that they were begging God to do big things they were begging God to totally transform not only their community but the world and we need to be begging God for the same thing we need to be spending time on our knees and just daily begging God God do what only you can do in people's lives do what only you can do in my life do what only you can do in our church now the second thing that that I I think happens as we continue As we continue looking, we've we've covered the first 12 verses, and then after this, things kind of change, and and what happens is, is something that we can do and we should be doing, and that is this, is a relevant explanation of the gospel. A relevant explanation of the gospel. What does gospel mean? Say it out loud if you know it. Good news. That's what gospel means, good news. Now, the good news is, the gospel that, that we're excited about, the good news is, is that Jesus died on a cross and he rose from the dead and that saves us from our sin. And if it wasn't for that, our sin was going to send us to hell. That's the good news, is that there's a way to be saved from hell, to be saved from our sin. And it's only through Jesus, only through his blood on the cross and through his resurrection. And so what happens here, if you look in verse 14, is that after the tongues and all this stuff shows up, Peter stands up and he begins to speak. And so follow along with me, starting at verse 14. It says this. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. By the way, I assume, and I'm just making an assumption here, that as Peter was speaking, all the other disciples who have had the supernatural Holy Spirit give them an ability to speak in another language I assume that they served as interpreters now I could be wrong but all there was still this crowd of people who were from different parts of the the world and so I assume that they gathered together and all the Persians were in one place and whoever the dude was that could now speak the Persian language he's over there with them and and so that's how this worked so look at verse 15 it says this these men are not drunk as you suppose it's only nine in the morning I'm going to come back to that at the end um And by the way, just who says you can't be drunk at 9 in the morning? I mean, I don't know. But anyway, y'all didn't laugh at that. Some of y'all act like y'all never have heard of somebody being drunk at 9 in the morning. Go home and look at the mirror. But anyway, all right, verse 16. I'm just kidding. I don't know if y'all have. All right, verse. some of y'all have. All right, verse 16. says this. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now here's what's cool about him talking about Joel. I said just a second ago that this was a relevant explanation of the gospel. Now, let me just confer, just to, to uh, 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 make one thing clear here. The gospel is always relevant, all right? Let me make that clear. The gospel is always relevant because the gospel is the only thing that can, the, the story of the gospel is the only thing that can save us from our sins. That's it. Everything else is just good advice. The gospel is the only thing that, that saves you from hell and gives you reward, eternal reward in heaven. So it's always relative. But when we share it with people, we have to be sure that we put it in terminology that they can understand. We have to be sure that we communicate it in a way that, that speaks to where they're living today. And that's exactly what Peter did. Who were the people that he was talking to? Who did it say in, in verse 5? If you got your Bibles, look at Acts uh, 2.5. Who does it say was there? What were they? say it out loud, God-fearing Jews. They were God-fearing Jews. That's who it was. So when Peter stands up to start talking about the gospel, what's the first thing he does? He begins to quote from an old Jewish prophet named Joel. And he says, hey, Joel said this, what you're seeing today, Joel said this was going to happen and you are standing here in the presence of a prophecy being fulfilled. The prophet Joel, and so everyone who was there, all these God-fearing Jews, these were religious people. These are people that cared enough about the church to travel and come to Jerusalem during this festival. All of a sudden when he starts talking about Joel, they're like, oh yeah, I know about Joel, I learned about him in Sunday school. Yeah, I just read Joel the other morning in my devotion. They know that he's talking about something that's important. Now... Then, what he does later, I want you to skip to verse uh, verse 25. Now, I'm going to tell you, he's talking about Jesus, and he's talking about uh, uh, what, what went on with Jesus. Then look what he does in verse 25. After he talks about Joel, he says this, David said about him, talking about Jesus, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne, that being Jesus, seeing what was ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. Do you see what else Peter did there? God-fearing Jews are the ones that are listening. I'm telling them the story about Jesus. First thing I do is I refer to an Old Testament prophet named Joel. The next guy I refer to is King David. Man, King David was their national hero. King David was their George Washington. King David was the greatest guy. With no one, If you were a Jew, you didn't say anything bad about King David in history class because he was the hero. He was the greatest king they had ever seen. He was a man after God's own heart. He, was, he fought all these battles, and he set, every, he set up the, the nation of Israel to be successful. The fact that they had a temple there today, that was created by the fact that King David had laid the foundation for that by destroying all these other nations that wanted to kill them. And so what Peter has done is, he said, Jesus, who came here that you denied, Joel talked about him, King David talked about him, and you refused to listen to him. Because look what it said in verse 22. This is the part I skipped. Now this is, you want to talk about not just being a relevant explanation of the gospel, but a straightforward explanation of the gospel. This is what he said to him: Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. In other words, he's saying to him. He did miraculous stuff and y'all saw it. Y'all saw him heal people. Y'all know that he did these things. Verse 23, This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep his hold on him. Do you hear what Peter's saying there? He said, Your Jews, Joel, your your prophet, told you that Jesus was coming. Your greatest king told you that Jesus was coming. And when he got here, you killed him. Now sometimes I'll preach a message and people come up to me and say, man, that really stepped on my toes today. This message didn't just step on your toes, it stepped on your face. Peter's kicking people in the gut with this. He's sitting there telling them Jesus was crucified because you killed him. And the message, don't miss this, the message to those Jews all those years ago is the same message to us. Jesus was crucified because we killed him. It's our sin that sent Jesus to the cross. We're all religious people. We're all God-fearing Christians, not God-fearing Jews. We all want to try to live like we're supposed to and we like to think that we're a lot better off than we are but it's our sin that sent Jesus to the cross. And see, that's what the story of the gospel is. The story of the gospel is is, is that your sin and my sin sent Jesus to the cross, but it allows us a way to be forgiven of that sin. See, what I think is cool about this story for us living here, we live among people who are just like the people that Peter was speaking to that day. Think about the people that you know that don't go to this church. Now, I'm sure you know a good number of people who they don't have any relationship with church. But how many would you, of you would, if you've lived here, if you've lived here in Greenville County your whole life or for 15 years or more, if you would say, you know what, I know a ton of people who if you ask them, they would tell you they're a Christian. They would tell you they believe in God. But their lifestyle sure doesn't show it. If you know a ton of people like that, raise your hand. If you know a lot of people like that, raise it up high if you know those people. I know a ton of people like that. And there are folks that they would say, yeah, man, I believe in God. And if you were to try to say something bad about Jesus, they'd almost want to get you in a fight. But then their lifestyle, man, they're doing all kind of stuff. You know what the deal is? Is they're just like these folks that were were there that day that Peter was speaking to. They're religious people, but they're, ha- they're not people who've had their lives transformed by the gospel. So there's a difference in being religious and being a follower of Jesus. It's a huge difference. And Peter knew that. And so when he stood up, when he gave his explanation of the gospel, he wanted to be sure that it was relevant. He wanted to be sure that that it spoke to them. And when we leave this place, we're supposed to be able to give a relevant explanation of the gospel. You might say, Cliff, man, I I can't do that. I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't know all that stuff. Here's all you need to know. To be able to give a relevant explanation of the gospel, here's all you need to know. We all have a problem with sin. Because of our sin, sinners die and go to hell. Jesus came to earth and he never sinned. He died on the cross. He rose again. And if we will put our trust in him, then we can be saved from our sin. That's all you need to know. Yeah, but if I go out there and I start talking to somebody, what if they ask me a question about the 2012 mind calendar and all that? You just say to them, I don't know. But I know that sinners that we're all sinners and that sinners die and go to hell and that Jesus came to earth and he never sinned and that Jesus died on the cross and Jesus rose again and if we accept that the fact that that's true and we believe in that and follow him then we can be saved from that sin yeah but Cliff what if they ask me a question about some hot topic political thing like like gay marriage or abortion or something like that just say I don't know the answer to all that but I know that sinners go to hell and that we all have sinned and I know that Jesus came to earth from heaven and he never sinned and that Jesus died on the cross and Jesus rose again and if you put your faith and your trust in that then you can be saved from sin yeah but cliff what if they ask me something weird they got some weird marital problem and i don't know how to help that just say i don't know what to do about your marriage right now but i know this I know that sinners die and go to hell and that we're all sinners and that Jesus came from heaven to earth and he never sinned and that Jesus died on the cross and Jesus rose again after being killed and that if you put your faith and your hope and your trust in him then you can be saved from sin. That's what we've got to do. That's what, the, what we've got to communicate to the people that we see every day. They need a relevant explanation of the gospel and we don't need to make it so complicated. If you can't answer all the questions about how the Old Testament lines up with the New Testament and how the fact that that Revelation says some wacky stuff, and if you read the book of Daniel, it seems really weird in some parts, don't worry about all that. Continue to study that, continue to learn that, but still give a relevant explanation of the gospel just like Peter did when he stood up that day. And then what you can do as you begin to tell them about the gospel, then you can say to them, Hey, I know you've told me that your marriage is all messed up. I know this. If Jesus was big enough to overcome dying on a cross and he came back from the grave, then he's big enough to help your marriage. I know that you're addicted and you've got all kinds of problems and you're on pills and you're on this and you're on that and you can't get off of it. And, and I don't know all the answers to how to help you, but I know this. I know that if Jesus was powerful enough to defeat death by coming back from the grave, then he's powerful enough to defeat that addiction in your life. And if you can take what we, what we know to be true about the gospel, and we can make it relevant to people's lives, we're going to see amazing things happen. See, I believe that amazing, thing ha- amazing things happen when the supernatural work of God and a relevant explanation of the gospel come together if we will beg God to do what only he can do, to change lives, and then we will be faithful to do what we're supposed to do, which is to do what Peter did that day and give a relevant explanation of the gospel, then amazing things can happen when those two things come together. So what happens in the rest of the story? So so Peter's up there and he's talking and he's telling them, you killed Jesus, Joel said he was coming, David said he was coming, and you killed him anyway. Then look at verse 32. Peter continues to talk and he says this, God has raised this Jesus to life. Acts 2.32, follow along on your your Bibles here. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of the fact exalted to the right hand of God he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And then I love this. Peter throws in one more just to let them know that it's all about what they did. And he says this, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And then look what happens next. This is the most, to me, one of the most amazing parts of this story. Verse 37. When the people heard this, They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? I can't tell you how many church services I've sat in. And I can't tell you many times that I've done this myself as a pastor. Where you get to the end of the message and you have the invitation time for people to get saved. Then to come down the aisle. And, you, and if you grew up in church, you, you've sat through this too. Nobody comes down, and so you sing all five verses of Amazing Grace. You didn't even know it had five verses, because there's like a couple of verses you don't even sing at funerals, right? And then it gets to the end, and the preacher looks over at the organist and says, we're going to do just one more verse, because God's telling me there's somebody out there, right? And then you wait, and then you start, you go into Just As I Am, because that worked for Billy Graham, it must be going to be working here today, right? And you sing a bunch of verses of Just As I Am, and maybe one person finally comes down and the preacher says, okay, since this person broke the ice, the rest of y'all can go home and eat now, right? Have you ever been in a service like that? We all have. And I've I've been in a, I've preached before and extended the invitation because I just really felt like somebody was going to get saved. But look what happened here when the supernatural work of God and a relevant explanation of the gospel comes together, these people did their own invitation. We want to get saved. Shut up, Peter, and tell us what we need to do. We believe it. Tell us what needs to happen. And look what Peter tells him. Verse 38. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, For all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. We need to beg God. We need to beg God that he would move in such a way that at this church and at Washington Baptist Church and at Appalachian Baptist Church, and at Memorial Methodist, and at Praise Cathedral, and at all the churches in this community. We need to beg God that at all of His churches in this community, that God would move in such a way that we wouldn't have to beg people to come to Jesus. That we wouldn't have to try to convince them to come to Jesus. That we wouldn't have to to just just try to to tell them that if they do this, this is going to happen, but that we would give a relevant explanation of the gospel and the Spirit would touch their heart in such a way that they come to you and say, I need Jesus. What do I need to do? That's what I want to see happen. That's what I'm praying to God for. Now, I'm going to read you the last five verses of this chapter of Acts chapter 2. Acts 2, 42 through 47. And these verses are read all the time to talk about this is what church should be like. And it should. Let let me read this to you. This is what happened. So you have Pentecost, 3,000 people saved and baptized. Amazing story. And then this is kind of like a summary of what was going on in the church at that time after Pentecost. And it, it says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. By the way, aren't you excited that eating together is mandated by Scripture? Isn't that awesome? So next time you get together and have fried chicken with a bunch of believers, you are doing what the Bible says. So uh, just be thankful of that, all right? Verse 43 Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Now, this is the next verse that some of you are like, I don't know if I want church to be like this. Listen to what happens next. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Some of y'all got some vehicles that I'd like to get a piece of if y'all decide to do that, all right? I'm just saying, if you want to sell it and give it to the preacher, you know, it's here in Scripture, verse 45. But Just kidding. Well, some of you I'm not kidding about. All right, verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is certainly a description of church at its best. This is church at its best. And this should be our goal. That that should be the goal of what this church should be. Now, here's the thing. I'm 42 years old. I've been going to church since nine months before I was born. I've never been in a church like that. Wait a minute, Cliff, you pastor a church. Isn't freedom like that? No. I wish it was. And you've never been in a church like that either. And here's the reality. This church didn't stay like that. How many of you have read ahead from Acts chapter 2? We're doing the first seven chapters. Has anybody read the first seven chapters yet? You know what's about to happen. It doesn't stay like this. Just a few chapters, people start getting jealous because their widows aren't being fed enough and you gave your widows more bread than you gave our widows. Then you got people showing up and, and they're giving an offering and saying, yeah, this is how much this offering is and, 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 and it's really they're lying about it and God kills them right there in church. And then persecution breaks out. See, right here it says they enjoyed favor of all the people. Man, they could preach the gospel. They weren't being arrested. Pretty soon they're being arrested and they're being put in prison and they're being executed. Verses 42 through 47 are awesome. But we need to realize the fact that that's always the goal we're striving for, but we're always going to fall a little bit short. Why? Because all of us are messed up. We're sinful. They were sinful. And we need the gospel. We need the grace of God. We need it to help us to be what we are supposed to be. And we keep striving for that. We keep trying to be the best that we can. And we keep trying to put these things into practice. And we're going to do good at them sometimes. And then sometimes jealousies are going to arise. And sometimes people are going to get their own agenda. And sometimes forces outside the church are going to hurt what we're trying to do. But that's okay. We keep pushing forward. told you a while ago that I was going to come back to, uh, to 9-11 and after um, the days after 9-11 2001 um, you know it was just constant TV coverage and um, the only time you know that I can remember there's like every single cable channel was running news of, of what happened and that kind of thing and you're just bombarded with all of that and and uh, and one of the cool things that happened through that is that immediately people began to realize that there were heroes that day that the that the first responders and the the firefighters and all those folks that those those were heroes and and they began to be recognized as heroes which was really 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 cool and um and i can remember thinking about that and and especially the the folks that that died in the world trade center that they were talking about the the firefighters were the heroes and and, uh, and then, you know, you might have thought, well, what about, what about all the other people that just went to work that day and they died? Were they not heroes? And the answer was, no, they weren't heroes. They were victims. So There's a difference between being a hero and being a victim. The victims, they just showed up for work and all of a sudden they were put in a situation that they had no control over and they lost their life and it was tragic. But see, a hero... Those guys that that went into the towers, they were heroes because they got up that morning and they went to to the, the fire department where they worked and when the call came, they weren't in danger. They were sitting there comfortably. They could have said, man, I ain't going up in that thing. I don't want to die. They could have stayed in the comfort of the fire station and still be alive to this day. But what made them a hero is they willingly chose to go into the place that was on fire. They willingly chose to go in and put their life in danger in order to try to save some people. And so those people that that were the firefighters and the first responders who were inside the building when the buildings came down and they lost their lives, they were the true heroes of the day because they didn't have to do that. They had to make a choice to do that. And this church, if we're going to do what Jesus wants us to do in this community, if, if we're going to, to give a relevant explanation of the gospel, we have to be firefighters, we have to be first responders who, dis, who choose not to stay in the comfort of this place, not to stay in the comfort of Sunday morning. But we're going to go out of here, and we're going to go into the fire. We're going to go into the lives of people who are messed up, We're going to go into those relationships. We're going to go into those homes. We're going to go into those schools and into those places of business where the people there are just as lost as they can be, that they have no hope, they don't know who Jesus is, and they need somebody to go in there and to pull them out. And that's what we need to be. This this community who, on the surface, looks to be so religious with, with so many Churches on every corner this community is desperate for the real gospel the gospel that says jesus died for you and that he's your only hope for sins and no matter how good you are no matter how good you try to be you can never save yourself and it's desperate for us to go into those lives now i want to close by reading one verse that i skipped and some of you might have thought why did you skip verse 13 Acts 2.13 I want to close with this now after everybody speaking in tongues which was awesome it says this some however made fun of them and said they have had too much wine every great movement of God whether it's gigantic or on a small scale Every miracle of God, every great movement of God has been put down and ridiculed by a small group of people. Every time. If today we had 3,000 people here get saved, I don't know who it would be, but there would be somebody or a small group of people in this room that would stand back and say, "Yeah, yeah, but if... Cliff hadn't have done this, that wouldn't have happened. And yeah, but I don't like the fact that he said this other thing in there. That's the way it happens. Every great movement of God is put down by a small group of people. Now here's the cool thing about this story. Those guys that stood back and said they've had too much wine, they're never mentioned again. Scripture doesn't spend any more time talking about them. It doesn't say that they were legitimate or that, oh, well, we need to consider what they're saying about the too much wine thing. No, they missed out on what God did. And God moved on and they got left behind. This community needs the gospel. And this church needs to be one of of his many churches in this area that, that, that spreads that. And we need to beg God to move. And when he does, I pray that we won't get left behind. I pray that this church will not be standing back while God's doing something big and us saying, yeah, but if, if we had this or we had that, we could have done that over here. Or I don't know how that happened over there because that preacher's a jerk, you know, whatever. We need to pray and beg God and then we need to take out, take ourselves out of this building and give a relevant explanation of the gospel everywhere we go. And then when he moves, we need to get behind the movement and we need to go as hard and as fast and as long as we can and don't get left behind. We're going to pray. And uh, as we pray, I just want you to, to uh, ask God what your, your role is in all this. Do you need the gospel? Do you need to be forgiven of sin? You came in here today maybe thinking you had it all together and now you're not so sure. Or you came in here today knowing you didn't have it all together. You knew you were messed up when you walked in. And you need the God, you need Jesus. You need the gospel. If that's you... I want you to know that all you have to do is ask Jesus for forgiveness. Tell him you believe him. And, and, and that's as, as simple as that. If you do that, I want to talk to you before you leave here today. Maybe you're here today and you say, Nah, man, I know I'm a follower of Christ, but I need to do a better job. I need to, I need to be a, a first responder. I need to be a firefighter. I need to be going out there, going into the fire, not sitting in the comfort of the fire station. Maybe that's who you are. We're going to pray. And as we pray about what your role is in all this, um, just ask God to speak to you. Let's pray. Father God, the, the memories of, of what happened 10 years ago are still um, very clear in, in our minds, those of us who were old enough to remember that then. And, Lord, I pray that as we, we think about those things that we would be inspired not only by the sacrifice that that those people made and the sacrifice that many are still making, but Lord, that we would be inspired and we would be moved by the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus made when he gave his life on this earth for us. Father, I pray for myself. I pray for everybody else in here who calls themselves a Christian or a follower of you. I pray that We would not be afraid, that we would not be shy about giving an explanation of the gospel. Lord, I pray that you'd give us those opportunities. And God, we beg you, we beg you for your spirit to do what only your spirit can do. We beg you for supernatural action. We know that you're the same God today that you were then. We know that what you did then, you can do bigger things today if you want to, and we pray that you would. Father, we love you. Help us to do better than our best. Help us to give you all that we have and trust you for everything else. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.